0: Welcome to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Saeed Business School, University of Oxford, and Kantar, the marketing insights and consulting company. In each episode, we'll have a frank discussion with industry experts to help brands and business leaders
1: navigate the changing landscape of marketing, and hopefully dispel some myths and misconceptions along the way. I'm Julie Coleman, Chief Research Officer for Kantar.
2: I'm Andrew Stephen, the L'Oreal Professor of Marketing and Associate Dean of Research at the Said Business School.
1: I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So our topic for today is social influencers and a key question that a lot of marketers have which is are they actually worth the investment? This has become an important topic because some recent data has come out that says that over 80% of consumers in the UK claim to block all online ads or minimally at least avoid them. And so if marketers want to want to reach the target that they're looking to reach, particularly those who spend a lot of time online, advertising may not be the right way to do it. But you know, Andrew, you, I know that Oxford's done quite a bit of work around um, trying to understand how to measure the impact of influencers. Do you want to talk a bit about that?
2: This is something that we see a lot of brands moving into, whether it's 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 based on a, a hard truth that this works, or it's sort of a test and learn, or it's a hope for the best. Uh, I, I don't know, but but I think... I think there is some value in working with influencers or, or using influencer marketing approaches. And so, so the research that we've done, and, and one example of this is a study that we published in, in a journal called Marketing Science last year, was um, looking at, I guess what we'd call micro-influencer campaigns. So, so smaller, not working with someone who might have a million you know, audience members or subscribers, or whatever, but looking at people who are really active around a certain product category in an online community. And so we looked at this and actually in the context of our data came from beauty and cosmetics and skin care, where we actually looked at campaigns where influencers in these communities were sent products and, and asked to review them and, and you know, create content, so maybe videos and explaining how a skin lotion worked and, and what it did for them or not did for them, and then post about that. Um, and then what we're really focusing on is, does this start conversations? Because on the one hand, you can think about, does this drive sales? But I think that there's probably some brand benefits here that, that are maybe longer term. And so one way to do that is to, to build awareness, to start conversations. And so what we essentially found is doing this works really, really well to get people talking about, uh, so the influencer and then their audience, other members of the community, to get talking about it, the focal product. So if it was for L'Oreal lipstick, then they're going to talk more about L'Oreal lipstick. However, what we also tracked was what's happening then at the same time for other products from the same brand and also for competitors' products because we wanted to see if, is is there this nice halo effect for, for the whole brand? Turns out actually not. So it suppresses conversation for other products from the same brand because it focuses the conversation in on a certain product. So the implication there is maybe don't go so narrow as a single product because you might shoot yourself in the foot if you're trying to get this positive spillover with the uh, you know, other products from the brand. Now, on the plus side, it does suppress competitor conversation, so it means that they're going to talk less at this at that time about competitors' products because you've shifted everything to focus on your product. So there's a sort of strategic benefit, if you will, uh, of using these uh, these approaches to suppress conversation about things that you don't want people to talk about. So, so you know, this is it's about getting word of mouth in in, in some way, shape, or form. But I think it it demonstrates at least from from our perspective with some some scientific evidence that that this works but you have to in some sense pick your objectives carefully but i think more broadly you know we looked at this in the context of sort of micro influencers and then there there are other ways that we could think about um, influencers or other types of influencers or other sorts of content producers and partners that brands could could work with um, which is what we wanted to shift to talking about uh, now. We've got a guest who's Lucy Moon, who is a blogger, vlogger, and podcast co-host from London who does some influencer work, um, uses her social platforms uh, to share with her followers uh, lots of things, actually, but you know particularly around personal style, beauty, and music, and speaks about other issues that also affect her as a young woman. We thought we would have a chat to you about what it's like to this type of work and to work with brands. So, thanks for spending some time with us.
0: Thanks for having me.
2: Um, so, I guess um, maybe we can kick off with a bit of a, I don't know, day in the life type. <laughs> type. You know, what if, if a brand comes to you or, or you're working on your blog more, more broadly, um, what, what do you do?
0: So, on average, I would say I make one video and one blog post a week and then I'm always working on brand stuff in the background of that and I'm posting things to Instagram so there's like a lot of content coming out so a day in the life kind of looks like a kind of a work day (laughs) obviously (laughs) like I get up I'm working by nine I'm doing my emails I'm doing admin stuff orchestrating stuff I was selling merchandise for a while so organizing that booking things in and stuff you know the that level of thing and then I like to spend as much time as possible doing the creating side of stuff to make the best possible stuff I can um, in terms of online content so uh, some videos will take me a week of solo production and some will take just like a day or two and then on top of that I'm writing a lot of the time and I'm pitching stuff to brands and taking photos and also trying to live my life because <laughs> <laughs> it's actually really bore- boring following an influencer who is not doing anything <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's what I'm trying to do and documenting as much of it as possible.
1: Part of what you have to do is to pitch yourself to brands. So what does that involve?
0: So I'm really lucky now in that a lot of my work comes to me and through my management. But often I used to have to send out just like generic kind of emails and introduce myself or go to events. There was a lot of networking at events when I was in uni especially and meeting people who worked at PR companies and people who worked just with brands to let them know that I existed And I was talking about these things and I was talking about them regularly. And there's a lot of there's a lot of influences, especially in London. And that means that the people that that a brand could work with is almost exponential for someone like me who talks about beauty and fashion, for example. Those are things that people want to buy, (laughs) Mm -hmm. like products within those two areas. And there are so many other women my age talking about those things and I definitely found that build, like, I think I have something unique and I think I have something that's worth selling, but translating that when the number of briefs I get through, for example, that have a very classic Instagram-looking girl drinking this like, like water out of a coconut and wearing a bikini, <laughs> like, I think a lot of people think that's what they want out of an Instagram campaign, and I don't really think they do. Um, and trying to translate that like I'm a bit different to that and that's a really positive thing generally I found it conveys better when I meet people in person mm. but I w- I'm really lucky to be in London and knowing enough people and being invited to enough events or like initially to have been able to kind of keep this keep it snowballing.
2: So what is a good brief? So you sort of alluded to the fact that I don't know the stereotyped image of an influencer might not be the best format of a brief from a, from a brand but, but actually what, what is a good brief?
0: I think there's some really obvious stuff that doesn't get done, but I'm sure this is with everyone. You need to clarify what you're trying to sell. That often doesn't get told to me properly. Like, you know, is this an app? Is it a, a new feature of your app? Like, what? Or what okay. is the thing wow. <laughs> that you want me to, yeah. to what sell? What is the product? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's that helps. Too, right? It is great if there's, like, visual imagery to accompany a description of what the brand is looking for to be produced, uh, whether that's an example video for made by a been by me maybe in the past that Mm. reflects that or if it's um a video that they've already done in their campaign or a video with a completely different influencer but they really like the style and they think it makes sense with what I do um so any kind of anything visual is really helpful and a very specific list of the key message you want to convey because I generally won't refilm I can't refilm um, that's a lot of my time, and a lot of my time to re-edit. You can't just put the same clothes on and just add a bit in. The light's different. And so that, for me, is really important. I want to know exactly what you need. Basically, communicate it. Just let me know, and I will do it. <laughs> but I do need to know up front kind of what needs to be said.
1: So what are, the, what are the typical requests that you get from a brand in terms of messaging? Is it, is it, I mean, it's got to be beyond, this is a great product. Are they yeah. trying to get you to do? Are they trying to get you to do more around trying to create a an emotional personality about the brand? Is that, or are they more f- more functional than that? Just tell everyone the product's good.
0: So a lot of the time, um, the influencer marketing side of what's happening, well, the the campaign in general whatever i'm doing is an addition to a much bigger campaign where there's a hashtag there's a mm. we're pushing we want you to particularly tell this kind of a story or push this kind of a message with these almost these exact words somewhere in the the copy
1: hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank
0: That's great in a lot of ways because it means I can I have so much to reference and I can really see what they're trying to get. But also it can be restrictive because you really do need to fit something that's going to look really good on their PowerPoint when they show it to whoever's higher <laughs> than <in> them. And <laughs> that can be really challenging. I'm doing one at the moment with um, an amazing campaign, which is an STI testing campaign. And the only call to action is go and get tested. It's not fronted by a particular brand. I'm not saying like, go use this particular type of condom or anything. It's literally go and get tested. And I love that because influencer marketing is all about authenticity. And as soon as you, if you you have a very fine balance of pushing a brand or pushing a couple of brands before you tip people over the edge and your audience think she's she's not authentic. She's just doing it for money now.
1: So why do you think this works?
0: That's a great question. I think it works because of, influencers are seen as a more authentic and a trustworthy person to go to a lot of the time because you feel as though you build a rapport with them I think so it's kind of like a trusted friend and you hear your trusted friend say and and they endorse loads of products that you have tried and they've also worked for you and then you hear them say well actually I really love this thing as well you're way more likely to believe them that's why I think it works
1: even though people are aware that you're being paid to do this you think that doesn't hurt the authenticity
0: um I think at least in the UK now the ASA guidelines are so widespread the audience that's on social media and follows influencers is so used to seeing hashtag ad that it's actually become a marker of like oh I really respect that you're making money off this now or oh that's really it's cool that you're clarifying this with us because the Americans don't (laughs) or <laughs> an equivalent. Yeah, as I said, they, they kind of trust you. It can feel like stuff is being marketed to you. And honestly, I think an audience can really tell, an audience member can really, really tell when you're not authentically endorsing something. I think they can see right through it because you, you don't look like you're enjoying promoting the product. <laughs> like it's, you know. They can read your face. Yeah, they <laughs> really can. I really And I think they can read when you're not enjoying your job as well. Like mm-hmm. it as a... Because, you, you know, you've got to talk
1: to them for 10 minutes of a week. <laughs> <laughs> Does it go beyond just driving awareness of a product? Do you think it goes beyond into affecting the brand's equity and making people feel differently about the brand?
0: I think that depends entirely on the campaign and the type of influencer taking part in it. Um, obviously, if you're working with someone with millions and millions of, of subscribers or of followers, you're probably going to see an, an increase in sales of that product. But... In terms of micro-influencers or smaller influencers, I think it provides this really invaluable brand, I guess getting the brand message out and the way the brand appears.
1: So the so social media and the influencers can actually help define the brand's positioning and personality yeah, when definitely. used correctly.
0: And that's, I think, where the real value of influencer marketing comes in. When you see someone who you, you aspire to be like but you also relate to really endorsing something, you're like... I want to be like that person and I like that person's thing. And then in turn that brand becomes associated with that ideal. I think the line between what is a celebrity and what is an influencer is increasingly more blurred. And I think that's a really positive thing because I see, like for example, a lot of the cast of Made in Chelsea are coming onto YouTube and coming onto Instagram and really trying to develop a more authentic portrayal of themselves. Um, and lots of reality stars what? do this. They're not real? <laughs> <laughs> and lots of reality stars do this as well. They, they see how social media can really be a tool to make them, they want to be more of an influencer. Mm-hmm. And then on the other end of that, you see people like um, Troye Sivan, who's a musician, used to be a YouTuber, and now is one of the biggest musicians in the world, and, or Shawn Mendes.
2: What are the ingredients for a really phenomenal, fantastically performing piece of, of content that you would create?
0: That's really hard because I don't think a lot of influencers create this hero content that goes viral and gets shared lots. I don't think that's necessarily what we're doing in that. A lot of the content production is keeping things ticking along and keeping things going and keeping that relationship with the audience alive. So I don't necessarily go into making any kind of video or, or Instagram post or whatever and think, oh, what's well, going to make this successful? Um, there's obviously, well, maybe not obviously, actually... There's certain things that are known to be to give you more views or more likes. So, for example, having a face looking directly at the camera will always give you more likes and more views. That's like quite well known. And red arrows in the thumbnail that will always get more people clicking on it. I don't know why. You know, so some people will employ those kind of tactics for maybe sponsored content or stuff they want to do really well. But in general, you just want to make something that you enjoyed, I think, and you enjoyed making, and you feel is valuable as. as maybe an editorial piece more so than like a than like a short film you know or a comedy sketch like something that just feels really yeah really authentic and really fun and really genuine
2: so if it's not necessarily about view counts let's say what what measures would you use or or brands that you work with would, would use um to to ascertain if something has has performed well or at least been Um, a good investment I suppose
0: for me I value um, if there's a real discussion going on in a comment section that for me is a success of a video I did a video one time about contraception and contraceptive pills and that had loads of discussion I've done videos about alcohol and alcoholism in young people and they've had so so real talking points and things where people have a lot to input when I see a comment section that's got a thousand to two thousand comments as opposed to three hundred that's when I'm I'm like wow like that really made an impact like a social impact but I think views is good as well I think like to dislike ratios are good I think likes and impressions and all of that stuff but for me personally a good comment section
1: and how do? but how do the brands that you work with do you know how they how they view whether or not what you've done has been a success
0: um, kind of. I'm rarely ever sent um, det- details on how many views they expect or how many impressions they expect. I think, although some brands do approach me like that, I think that's a strange way to approach me because you've already done that maths on the other side. So you know roughly what to expect from my content. And I can't promise you a certain number of, of views or a certain number of things because I don't control it. Um, unfortunately, like the social platforms we use are, do have a mind of their own and sometimes you'll put something out and it'll get half your views and you've no idea why. Uh, I think usually people use impressions mm-hmm. and I still don't really know what an impression is. I just screenshot them and send them <laughs> over once I've done the piece of content. Um, and likes and views. Those are kind of the three that I, like metrics, I guess, that I think are most often used to evaluate whether the value of what I've produced for the brand
1: so are you just paid a flat fee then to do a video or do a blog or do a and so it's not based on what the outcome is for the brand so you're not paid on num- I don't know yeah. why you put you know a certain amount per view or whatever
0: so I think it's seen as um yeah I get paid a flat fee I'm um, usually 50 percent up front and 50 percent after I've completed the work I see it as like it's on a commission basis I'm being commissioned to make something as opposed to being paid due to the results of it because I'm not only am I broadcasting your message, so there's, I feel like half of your payment is because you are a platform on which to project, hey, buy this product or click this link. But more importantly, is what you're actually creating. You are a creator and you're making something for that brand who's probably also gonna repurpose it, put it on their social media as well. And they're gonna share that around their office and say, look, we've made this thing whereas really they commissioned me to make it. So that's, I think, why we do a flat fee up front is because it's a commissioned piece of work or a commissioned series of pieces of work. I've never heard of an incentive bonus um, system or a pay by view system. I think this is pretty standard in the UK market, at least. But I think it's because it wouldn't, I don't necessarily think it would be fair to the, to the influencer to do it those ways, because they're, the point i think the point of influencer marketing is you're not putting something down people's throats if you want that kind of response then pay for facebook ads put all that 10000 pounds into facebook ads don't put it to influencers because i think you're more likely to lose customers overall if you're if your influencer is saying buy this buy this buy this 3 days in a row because they want the extra payment
2: is there engagement then between Yourself or other members of the influencer community with the platforms, because clearly this is a a good use of those platforms for marketing purposes beyond just the the advertising products that they offer. So is this something you know? Does Does YouTube reach out to you and give you tips and advice or help you? I mean, how how does it does that work? Does that happen?
0: Yeah. So YouTube has um loads of creator support. I've been working with YouTube really closely for about three or four years now. Um, I have a partner manager there, so a direct contact for if anything goes wrong. I've also been on programs with them. I've received funding from them. They do loads of programs to support creators who are doing really cool things in the world. Yeah, and Twitter do loads of influencer outreach. They have their own platform called Niche, which they do it through. Uh, Instagram took me and my ex-boyfriend to Milan one time for an event. (laughs) I don't know why. I don't know. Um, Yeah, so we do have, and Mm -hmm. Facebook as well, I've been... Yeah, up to Facebook. They all do influencer outreach and working directly with influencers in various
1: capacities. The people I've had the most conversations with and the, most, the best relationship with is YouTube. Is, do you think that, that in another couple of years that your influence might be less because there's so much of this going on? that was a bit of a leading question (laughs) Mm
0: -hmm. um yeah I think because there's more people becoming influencers or micro influencers or whatever we'll call them it's harder for those people to grow and get noticed and stay relevant but I think that's a good thing because I think it will push people to create better content and become stronger creators in their own right and actually you, you you will end up with the best people to be doing that kind of work.
1: What advice would you give to the brands that you work with or to brands in general or marketers in general um, for how they can best optimize the return they get from investing in micro influencers?
0: I think a big part of it is to build longer term relationships with influencers because if you develop a good relationship with influencers who really love your product, who really already are talking about your product, they will continue to talk about your product unpaid anyway. And I think it's also really important that brands realize that by trusting the influencers they're working with, if they have to trust the opinions of those influencers on how their message will translate best to their audience, because the influencer knows their audience so well, they've been their audience probably. It's probably some around the same age that they are and going through the same things that they are as well, interested in the same kind of things. So if you have a very strong idea of how you think it should be done, but the influencer comes back and says, "Eh, I don't think that will convey as well as what about this, you should listen to that because they definitely know.
2: (laughs) Try and see an influencer as this, for a brand, as this trusted strategic branding partner really who can give you... Insights into the consumers that you're trying to reach, um, you know, through and with that that influencer, as opposed to just using influencer as a content creator, as a media channel. That's you know, you're buying an audience, so to speak, but rather to realise that that you know that audience really, really well, and, and you embody that audience in so many ways.
0: Yeah, just remembering that you're um, the people you're working with are also a company within their own right. A lot of the time, they've been doing it for years themselves, and you just wouldn't tell another company, you tell another company what you want, but you wouldn't tell them how to do it. And I think that's quite okay. important to remember with influencers as well. They're also experts and they're experts at content creation, at sharing the message that they're trying to get across and audience
1: retention and engagement. Well, thank you, Lucy, very much for joining us for this conversation. It's been very enlightening for me. Um, I have a whole new respect for what micro-influencers do. And it won't become my next career. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds far too difficult. (laughs) Thank you
0: for having me. You've been listening to Future Proof, the marketing podcast from Saeed Business School and Kantar. Find more episodes and related content at uk.kantar.com or at sbs.oxford.edu. Thank you.